Morning. Well, I, uh, I'm excited about all the fun things we have going on for this month and next month, and I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Um, <clears throat> I want to also say thank you again. I, I First service, I meant to do this, but thank you again for pastor appreciation, for the love gifts, the, the, the money that was given, the, the acts of kindness. It's been great, and we really appreciate you all and appreciate uh, what you've done. Uh, also, <laughs> I want to say that um, this uh, men's fellowship that we're having, not the men's fellowship, but the December uh, shootout at my place. Guys, we're doing the same thing as we did before. You're going to exchange a gift, but it's going to be something that we're going to shoot at. So you want to think of something funny and fun, something safe to shoot at. Um, I think we had propane tanks or something. One time we can't do that. Um, but just just know if you don't have a firearm or you're not, you're not shot one or you need a little help with that, if you'll see me, we'll try to get you ready so that... Um, You'll go out there and look like you know what you're doing and be safe uh, ahead of time. So uh, I'm not sure I didn't get a chance to talk to Bob. Last year he brought out a kind of archery setup for those who maybe don't want to mess with the firearms um, where they can shoot a bow and arrow. And so anyway, we'll have a good time. But keep keep that on the, the radar so that you're not trying to scrounge last minute for your funny gift. We've had some funny ones. I think one of the best was we had a little blackbird, a fake one, on a perch. And uh, we shot that thing over and over, and it would not die. Um, but it was fun. All right. I'm trying to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Uh, Ken covered, uh, I mean, uh, Grandpappy covered uh, <laughs> the big announcement there. And uh, what was it, Grandpappy or Granddaddy? Oh, Gramps, yeah. <laughs> We're excited for Andrew and Chelsea and so uh, for everyone. So. Um, well, we've been in uh, different uh, sermon series, and, and today is kind of a one-off, if you will. Uh, I wanted to take time um, <clears throat> to, to go over something that's probably really basic to some of us, but I don't think it's as base, basic as what we try to give it credit for. Uh, I think it's a little more in-depth than we do. Uh, I've been having fun with my sermon titles. Some of them have been coming pretty quick, but uh, I like play on words, some of you all know. Uh, but today it's prepare to pers- uh, persevere. Or plan to pack sand. Prepare to persevere or plan to pack sand. Uh, that's another saying sometimes when you, somebody upsets you, you say go pack sand or go pound sand or, uh, or whatever. But, but today we're going to talk about uh, something that Jesus um, was very important for his disciples. You know, before we get into that, there's been some really interesting uh, cathedrals and towers and buildings that have lasted the test of time uh, around this world. And one was dedicated in the year 1093 A.D., making it a 908-year-old building. It's one of Europe's oldest Gothic church. It stands proudly as a magnificent and massive architectural creation. And it's situated in the United Kingdom in Winchester, uh, Winchester in the country of Hampshire. And what happened is in 1905, some serious signs of structural weakness began to form. They started having cracks in the walls and started worrying about this this old cathedral began to crumble. And so there were suggestions made that maybe they would brace up the walls or they'd use some kind of um, uh, rods and, and try to reinforce the walls to keep it from tumbling down. Uh, but it, they decided to at least inspect and see what the problem was. So they decided to drill holes into the foundation and try to probe and see what, what was the problem. So these deep shafts were dug in the foundation, 
and they discovered that this great cathedral had been constructed on a bog. That was a, a, a bog, a marshy, like a, a very um, mushy ground. But what the, the original builders had done was taken large trees and laid them over and built the foundation on those trees. So it's amazing that after over 900 years, the thing was still standing. That they just started seeing the signs, but it was, it was built on a bog. And so these tree trunks that are laid flat, they had disintegrated and, and pretty much the, the foundation was sinking into the bog. And so in 1906, W.G. Walker w- got in a deep-sea diving suit and began working in thick brown murky water, digging through the eight feet of peat and mush. And as he picked it out in sections, he replaced it with concrete, and it took him five and a half years to restore the rotting cathedral's foundation. Then separately, in 1173 A.D., architect... Uh, Bonanno Pisano, it's a fun name, right? Bonanno Pisano, makes me want to eat pizza or something. But he began a project that was to outlive him. In fact, it took 200 years to complete, all the way up to 1350 A.D. Eventually standing 180 feet or eight stories tall, this bell tower, or as we have come to know it, the Tower of Pisa, has become famous not so much for its architectural beauty, but it's 18-foot lean because the building is leaning and still standing. But the inclination became so much of a concern that it was closed to the public in 1990. How would you like to be standing on the short side of that when it falls? Hey, that's very good, Nathan. I didn't... He got that up there. I didn't even know he was going to put it up there. Um, But just recently, major restorative acts have been taking place to bring it... um, to keep it from falling completely over. So both these, the Winchester Cathedral and the Bell Tower of Pisa, were set on poor foundations. And the cost of repair on these structures, I believe, are, are pale in comparison to the cost on our lives when our lives are built on shaky foundations. In fact, when we base our life here and our eternal life on a shaky foundation, whether it's a home, a cathedral, a tower, or, or a life, The type of foundation one has uh, under it is crucial to its longevity. My concern is that we uh, have a a strong anchor for our soul. And here's the thing. This may be elementary to some. If you grew up in church, you're like, we we covered. I know where you're heading, Pastor CJ. I didn't even have to look at the text. I know that you're going to cover the two builders. But listen, I think there's more to that story than we give it credit to. I believe that not only is Jesus talking about, um, figuratively he's talking about foundations and apply it to a literal life foundation, but I believe it truly is the foundation of everything he teaches out of beyond that. That everything Jesus taught was built off of this main teaching. What foundation will you lay down or have laid down for your life? Um, To what will you secure your life to? Is it or will it be a foundation of self-achievement or abilities or a foundation of wealth focused on your finances, focused on your career and your resume, or or perhaps earthly kingdoms, earthly foundations? We all need to have a foundation upon which we construct our lives. And so Jesus is teaching uh, on this topic, but 
it's done and it's, it's termed the, the Sermon on the Plain because it's believed that Jesus was at the very end of a lengthy sermon and the setting was that he had went down with his disciples and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples and others, a great number of people from all Judea, came out to hear this, this sermon. And this sermon, in essence, reminded listeners of God's reward uh, for heaven, for those who were suffering or mourning or persecuted and poor. And this is a message of hope that we need every, every day of our lives. Every generation, every group of believers need to have this message of hope that there is an eternal reward at the end of our suffering, the, the end of our mourning, our, our persecution, our poverty. And then he directed them to love their enemies and pray for those who mistreat them and to be merciful. And it directed them to not judge or condemn others, but rather forgive them. And in it, Jesus reminded them that the constitution of one's heart determine the character and quality of one's speech. And that was the litmus test of what was going on in their heart. Because he said in Luke 6.45, For out of the overflow of one's heart, his mouth speaks. Now here's the thing. If we stop for a moment from thinking of sermon and think about where things are headed in our world. There's so many things I know I beat like a, a, a dead dog. <laughs> but... Think about all the conversation that's going on in media and everything going on right now for a moment. Out of, the, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. You see, that's real easy for us to take that and think of a condemning thought. Yeah, look at the world going to hell in a handbasket. Let me tell you something. Believers as a whole are doing the same thing. Some of the things that come out of our mouth are not projecting what Christ would want us to project. And we're going to dig into that a little bit because today is not about trying to dress up our outside to try to fit in with the church, but to really get to the heart of the issue, the foundation of the issue of our faith and our walk with Christ. God's promise of heaven, which we are to declare, uh, loves one's, love one's enemies or forgiving and not condemning others, are in part, it says, Jesus says, my words. He uses the terms, my words. Uh, Jesus speaks of, this enclosing in this parable of the two builders at the end of the sermon. And so he's, he's saying that these are my words that you're to follow. And when Jesus preached a sermon or told a parable or gave a discourse, he always used objective lessons that were familiar to his hearers. This is a very effective way of teaching. Jesus was a master at it. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, again, I, try, I, I know I use a lot of social media um, examples. Some of you maybe aren't even on Facebook, don't know. Uh, what what it's said and done there, but recently I saw the, the Cubs lost to who? I mean, the Cubs won to who? Cleveland, right? And so I see this on there where they're saying that that Cl Cleveland threw such a fit about it that they're now going to take and split it and make it a tie to be fair to Cleveland so that they won't feel so upset about their loss. Now, none of that was true, but the person telling that was trying to express their feelings about people complaining about the election who had lost. And so Jesus is doing that exact same thing. He's saying, it's basically, for you to get this, I have to take something out of the context of what we're really talking about and give you another example that applies the same principle. And so he's talking about these two builders, one of which built on solid foundation, and the other one who uh, built 
improperly. Now see, the archaeology and geography of Bethsaida provides a background for uh, two of his par- these two parables. The parable of two builders recorded in Matthew 7, 24, 27, and Luke 6, 47 through 49, the Sermon on the Plain. The evidence suggests that these were two different sermons that were given at different times, several months apart, but yet still driving the same points. And as I understand the chronology of uh, the life of Christ, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel came from, to faith, and you'll remember this from a previous sermon, they came to their faith in Christ at a wedding at Cana of Galilee during the summer of AD 26. Remember the wedding at Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine? They were going to their hometown, so this is uh, where these guys grew up. And so what is understood about this, in the spring of AD 28, Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to come be fishers of men. He's calling them out of their careers as fishermen into into fishers of men. And so he's helping them understand you're doing the same thing. Like you went out and sought the fish and caught the fish, you're going after men. And so this is a, a training effort for his disciples in the art of fishing of, uh, for men. And so were the, they were visiting synagogues of Galilee. And at one point he sat down on the slopes of a mountain overlooking the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee and he addressed his disciples, those that already trust him as Savior. So the picture is they're on this journey. They've come to understand through his first miracle that he truly is the Son of God, that he has power to, to change their lives, and they're following him. And Jesus comes up on this prime spot to have a sermon. It's just like here. We have a platform where you can be up a little bit elevated and a good amount of space for people to sit and be able to listen and learn. And so that's where the setting is. We're, we're in this familiar place to them. They grew up around this area. Uh, Jesus has this prime spot uh, to do this outdoor sermon. And so the sermon delivered in the spring of AD 20 is known today as the Sermon on the Mount. And we also know, uh, again, from the two builders, the Sermon on the Plains. And then at this point in the walk with the Lord, P- Peter forsook all and followed him, Luke 5, 11. And later that summer, Jesus again addressed his disciples on the plain of Bethsaida, which is where he talked about the two builders, Luke 6, 20-49. So these uh, parables conclude um, that, that they lay down the standards of conduct appropriate for the disciples of Jesus. So this is Jesus telling disciples, if you really want to know the nuts and bolts of how you're supposed to act as my disciples, here it is. So some of you, maybe you're either newer believers or you've really not studied God's word. It seems very complicated at times. It seems like there's an awful lot to grasp and a lot to take in. And how am I really supposed to be like Jesus? It seems like it's so much. And wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just gave you, here's a basic principle that if you build off of this, everything will flow from it. Wouldn't that be easier? Well, this is what Jesus is doing. He is not only talking about laying a foundation, he is laying the foundation of which all his teachings will flow at uh, this sermon on the plains. So Jesus takes and makes the analogy. He takes his, his disciples who grew up in this area, these fishermen, these, these guys are kind of roughnecks, right? And he takes them to their common, uh, their common ground and he begins to use this parable of the builders to like one of them as unto the builder who built his house on solid foundation and one who built his house on the sand. But here's the interesting thing about the sand. 
it's by the Sea of Galilee, and because this is where Jesus gave the parable, um, it's at the Lake of Gennesar, where uh, we know that it has a pebbly and sandy beach, but there's a type of sand they call alluvial sand that is the background of this parable. It's a sand that is packed during the summertime when it's dry. It's so hard, it feels like rock. However, if you dig down just far enough, you come to solid bedrock. But in the summer, that sand feels just as hard as a rock. And so Jesus is telling this in this setting. And so when the early rains and the winter rains come and the Jordan River overflows its banks, this along with the winter windstorms caused the house that was not built on the foundation to collapse because it was built on sand that felt like rock, but once the elements came, it softened up and shifted. Here's an interesting thing. On February 21st, 1978, the Israel water system um, put a, in a channel for some pipes in the area, in this area that we're describing. At a depth of three meters under the water table, they found carved basalt stones of different sizes, and they appear to be part of a foundation of a building. Unfortunately, they couldn't find any pottery or anything else to identify the time period, but they but immediately thought of this story that was told in Scripture about the, the two builders that one built their house on the sand and one on the rock. So this sand, it's not really an issue in this parable about, um, about where they built it. So when I was a kid in Sunday school, we had these felt boards, and they'd take these little felt figures and they'd stick it to the board to tell the Bible stories. And you'd get to this one, and there'd be this building that looked like a lighthouse. Big, strong building. It'd be up on a towering mountain of rock, right? And then you'd see the other little house, and it would be on some soft sand. And then comes the, the felt version of waves, right? And it crashes over the house, and it wipes the house out. And the lesson is for us to build our life on a strong foundation. So while that's good, really in all accuracy, we would have to see both those buildings that look like they're built on solid sand however what jesus is saying is one builder took the time and the foresight to dig through that hard crusty packed sand to get to the bedrock anticipating that there could be a problem when the elements came in and while it may seem like it's splitting hairs i believe there's some significance to the fact that it's not a matter of location um well if i if i'm over here and, and the world and all the nasty people over there, if I was a Christian, put myself over here, I'm on the rock, and they're in the sand. But the truth of the matter is, as Jesus is mainly talking, even though he has others, he's mainly talking to his disciples and teaching them who already believe in him. What he's starting to say is, you know, if you get in too much of a hurry, and you aren't really preparing yourself for what's to come, then you're really living on the surface. You could be serving me for all the wrong reasons. You could be doing, uh, doing uh, good deeds, trying to do it in my name, but you're still just built on the surface. And because you don't dig in and have a deeper relationship with me, when the storms of life come, your house is going to crash. Your foundation is going to break apart because it wasn't built on the solid rock of a deep relationship with me. The foolish builder, on the, uh, he, he 
doesn't take his time and he builds his house on top of that alluvial sand and uh, thinks that he can make it through the winter months and much to his surprise it did not. But the wise builder concerned that the house would remain standing when the sands became loose and soft. So he dug deep and dug a deep foundation down to the bedrock. So Jesus, in this sermon, he asked this question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You won't obey me. These are folks who are saying, Jesus is my Lord, but he's saying, you won't do what I say. We also know in another scripture where Jesus refers to, is better to obey than to what? Sacrifice. Better to obey than to sacrifice. So many think they're working so hard and doing so much for the Lord, but they can't get the simple concept of just obeying his simple teachings of what he's asked of us. And so their, their, their relationship with him is on the surface. It's all about the appearance. It's all about as long as I look like a Christian, I belong to a Christian group, I'm, I'm moving along, I've got Jesus, I'm good. But he's saying some, you say, Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say. So he says, I'll show you what it's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck, and the house the house could not be shooken, and it stayed firm. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the man who built the house on the ground without a foundation. It wasn't built on the solid rock. The bottom line, following Jesus means putting his words into practice. That's the bottom line. You want to get to the heart, the nitty-gritty of really what it is to be a Christian, to be Christ-like? It's not just hearing. It's, it's the putting his words into practice. The good thing is this doesn't have to do with popular opinion or pastor's opinion or Christian's opinion. In fact, you know, I could tell you what I think you need to do as a Christian, but I'm only observing what's on the outside. What Jesus is saying is it has to come from a deep, solid, dug-down-deep relationship with me because I will begin to convict. The Holy Spirit will convict your heart of those things that need to change. He goes on this specific, uh, specifically in this context, the promise of a heavenly reward which we are to reclaim, loving your enemy and forgiving and not condemning others. Jesus himself said, you are my friends if you do what I command in John 14, 15. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, in Matthew 7, 21. And then the, the Lord in heaven said, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done, Revelation twenty two twelve. You know, while we don't promote that you have to work for your salvation, what he's talking about is you have to put my words into practice. You can't just say, I accept you, but I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to accept you, but I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus has to have full reign in our lives. There has to be a deeper relationship on the surface. How often have I seen believers struggle and succumb to trials and temptations that should not even have fizzled them. 
I, I think we've made a mistake in church history to, to be so excited about the numbers of salvations at our church, but, but less than enthusiastic about the discipleship that's needed to get them beyond that point. I've said this many times, until we're willing to give up our Saturday afternoons or our, our lazy Sunday evenings or whatever it is to take someone who is new in Christ or maybe doesn't have a deeper knowledge of Christ and spend time with them, helping them to understand God's Word and discipling them, then we are still staying on the surface. There's so many Christians that are in crisis because they did nothing to fortify their faith. They're not absorbing the truth of God's word through Bible study or uh, uh, through church, uh, the encouragement of the church or, or through their prayer life. The Bible makes things very clear. Do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says in James 1.22. It's kind of like, you know, us guys, when we're given something to assemble and there's a manual with it, right? What do we usually tell our wives? Oh, that's for people that don't know what they're doing, right? And isn't it funny how so many things that have to be assembled, it seems like they give you a lot of free extra parts, right, guys? It's like, wow, why do they put all this extra stuff in here? I mean, who needs that, right? Toss it in the trash. You know, so, so we often do that sometimes with God's Word. It's like, hey, you know, this doesn't seem so complicated. All i got to do is try, to, try my hardest not to do what I think is sin. And as long as I'm trying real hard and, you know, God understands and, and uh, I'm living out my faith, but, you know, I don't see why I have to pray every day. I don't see why I have to keep studying the Word, why I have to keep digging deeper. I don't understand why I have to grow any further than that. I mean, I, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that's all I need. You know, I mentioned that I, one of the things I've been saving for and I finally caught on a sale and used some of my past appreciation, I don't do a lot of tech toys, you know, or uh, technological uh, toys, but I wanted so bad for us to be able to take aerial shots of the building project that I didn't want to ask the church to buy a, a drone, but I bought a, I bought a drone. It's going to be here by Thursday, I think. And it, it was on sale and it was cheap enough that I can feel okay about it, but if I crash that dude... I'm probably not going to spend the money to buy another one. I'm just going to cry for, for a while and, and wish I had the money back, right? But I actually found out I could get the manual online before I even bought it, and I started reading the manual. Now, why would a guy, why would a guy start reading a manual in advance of even getting the thing that has to be put together? That's not typical, right? That's not normal for a guy. Well, if it's something that's going to be valuable enough that you don't want to mess it up, you will. If it's got enough value to it that you can't imagine having to try to replace it or losing it or damaging it, then you'll read the manual. And if we would just see our walk with the Lord with the value it really has, we'd want to be reading the manual. We'd want to know every intricate detail. We want to make sure we're not missing anything because, man, if my life, not that I'm just walking on a tightrope with God, but it's so easy for us to slip in some ways, so easy for us to, to dishonor God, it's so easy for us to misrepresent Him and cause harm to the kingdom and hurt our testimony, that wouldn't we want to make sure that everything possible we could be adhering to, we are. I'm not talking about the law and, and, and the old covenant and obeying law. You know, Jesus came to fulfill that. So in other words, He came to help us fulfill the law. He came to be the help we need to be able to do the things that he's asked us to do, to obey. He made the sacrifice so that we could obey. 
That's what the new covenant's about. And so he's telling this, he's teaching his, his, his followers, he's, he's using this analogy of these builders and in this setting where they'd understand it and say, you know, maybe they had Uncle so-and-so or uh, build a house there and they remember, oh yeah, I remember Uncle so-and-so, he built it right on top of that packed sand and it crumbled. And Jesus is trying to say, you have to prepare to persevere because the trials of life that will come will tear apart that packed sand. So you can either prepare to persevere or you can go pack sand. Are you putting into practice the things Jesus taught? Are you sharing the hope of heaven with those who are hurting? Are you doing good to that neighbor or coworker who hates you? Are you praying for that cousin or uncle who mistreats you? Are you forgiving that neighbor who slighted you? Are you giving into the needs of others to seek your help? Are you loving that kid at school who you see as your enemy or a bully? If the answer is no, you're erecting a foundation for your life which is not being built to last. If your answer is yes, then no matter what the storms of life that come, whether you are saved through that trial or you go on to be with the Lord and at the day of judgment, you see that your house was built strong on the solid rock, the words of Jesus Christ. You know, I... I am weak myself, and I have to confess to you, this has been a very tough week for me. The first service, we didn't even get started in the sermon before I asked if there's anybody else uh, in the congregation. We prayed because um, this week's been hard for my attitude. I can't even point a finger to what it was, but I just it's been tough. And I realize that if I don't refresh and I don't spend time in God's Word enough, if I'm not doing it more than just preparing for a sermon, more than just because uh, that's what I'm supposed to do as a pastor, but because I need that strong foundation, if I don't do that, then I begin to break apart myself. If you remember the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, By the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-11. And then also the admonition of John, James, um, he was an ear witness. He heard this sermon. He, he was there to hear it. And he said, be doers of the word and not just hearers only in James 1.22. It reminds me of that hymn, the solid rock declares all other ground is sinking sand. We can't build our own foundation. Here's the interesting thing about it is when we're tempted, when we're tempted to sin, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, stop. And it's like the Holy Spirit hands us a shovel and says, I want you to dig that out of your life. I'm going to help you. I want you to dig that out. And it's up to us whether we're going to be doers of the word and take it and actually stick it in the sand and put our foot on it and dig it out. And every time Every time that we have that temptation to either spout off something that's not going to represent Christ or, or act in a way that won't represent Christ, we're handed that shovel again and given that same choice. But here's the interesting thing. What we're digging towards, that solid bedrock, you know what? It's not about us being righteous. Whose righteousness are we firmly founded on? His righteousness. Ours is but filthy rags. We're not trying to clear up the outside of you and let you hide what's in your heart. 
That's not what the church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to help you in your journey that the Holy Spirit will illuminate truly what's on the inside and for you to confront that and begin to dig down and build on Christ's righteousness. That His righteousness be your righteousness and you'll be able to weather the temptations. Again, I say all the time, I can expect an unbeliever to act as an unbeliever, but we as a church need to be very careful that right now we are this this church as a whole not ours but just every church out there are starting to sway some of them are starting to sway because their foundation has been on the surface and when the pressure comes on from the unbelievers instead of them influencing the unbelievers they're being influenced by the unbelievers and their foundation is shifting and the words we say is just like when we say our, the words we say to the, the world, it's just like, some, like a surgeon has opened our heart and it's been illuminated the world what's exactly in our heart. Jesus said, from the heart, the mouth speaks. And so our testimony, our testimony, uh, the words we say is reflecting exactly what foundation is beneath our faith. Is it the righteousness of Christ or our own righteousness? We know what the Pharisees looked like when they stood on their own righteousness. God help us to stand on his righteousness. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning and this time, God, to remind us, Lord, through a sermon that you delivered, that, God, we are, um, that we are, are very careful not to just look down at the ground that we walk on and think it looks solid enough, Lord, and that we think that it would do and that we build on the surface, that, Lord, we build by our actions, Lord, only and not by what's in our heart. That, God, we think by deeds and by, by working for our salvation or, Lord, by trying to impress you or impress other believers or impress the world uh, by our own righteousness, God, that somehow we're going to be able to weather the storms of life. God, we see right now that Christians across this planet, Lord, are beginning to show truly what their foundation is and by the way they're responding to the storms of life. And, God, we need your help. We need your help to, to, Lord, dig deeper in our relation with you. Find it through, through deeper study of your word and yielding to what the Holy Spirit wants to correct in us. Being willing to pick up that shovel. Being willing to dig through the mud and the muck and the mire of our lives. Begin to remove that which is, that is weak. And let the strength, your strength, be like the concrete that was replaced in that foundation for that cathedral. Lord, some of us, like that cathedral, have gone so long, over 900 years, before they realized there was a problem. Some of us have gone so long with our walk with you that we, we won't admit to ourselves, we won't even look inside to see if maybe our foundation is built on muck and mire. But somehow we thought we could just throw some logs in there and, and steady ourselves for a while. and Maybe those logs are, are just you know, trying to mimic what we see uh, Christ followers do or uh, mimic what we think good Christians do, but it begins to rot and break apart. Lord, we need your righteousness to shine through us, to be our solid foundation. Because right now as we close in this prayer, I just pray, Lord, that we all take a moment right now and Ask for your help that we begin to, to really look inside and, and discover, Lord, are we on a solid foundation? And if not, 
yield to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and let your life-changing power come in and do a mighty work in us, Lord, that we might win this world for Christ. And not only that, Lord, that we can stand tall knowing that we have truly learned what it is to obey more than sacrifice. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love y'all. And and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to take advantage of those that are college and career. Take advantage of the the uh, uh, campfire tonight, the bonfire. And then anybody interested in the safety team, especially if you have medical training, it would be help, help us if you want to stay for lunch. Love y'all. God bless you. And have a wonderful Sunday.